The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. I'll tell you what, Kev, this lockdown proves to me is uh, just how thick I am, to be honest. <laughs> uh, what's are, are you what's doing? the square root of a Oh, five, uh, uh, five camels and a hedgehog. No, my Zoom's not working. Skype, where's my frog? My frog account's not working. <laughs> I know, that's the thing. Dad, come on. Who invented Frog is the most. Uh, is that's been? I'm sure Frog is brilliant in non-COVID times. But when everybody's trying to get onto it, <laughs> it's uh, and and the thing keeps changing its password. Honestly, by by the second day, IT department were just sending <laughs> sending back one-word answers. No, yes. Well, we- Rosa Rosa School uses Microsoft Teams, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. It's really good. But <laughs> on the first morning, she uh, she tried to log on, and it just didn't make any sense. All of the, all of her stuff was was wrong, and oh. various things like that. And, and we t- it it turned out after a little bit of uh, <laughs> investigative work by us and by the school that because they don't want to identify the kids by their email addresses, so they've got these kind of random email addresses. Uh, some like random number mullins at such and such school.com whatever it is um they'd allocated her there's another girl called mullins in years 11 or something so she had hers and she and the other girl had had roses (laughs) (laughs) so so rosa was logging in and it was like uh yeah advanced uh advanced mathematics and uh physics (laughs) she <laughs> was like what? <laughs> i only do drawing <laughs> have you told them that you used to work for microsoft kev <laughs> rosa probably has i am microsoft team support are you are you the official yeah. microsoft team support yeah 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 just press all the buttons and then <laughs> and then go to work turn that's, it, that's t- what i do yeah. turn it off and turn it on again the fuji cast that's the way it'll work for you uh, well, we will get through this. We will get through this. We have to get through this. How many months are we doing this for, Kev, this time? Do you, you're a man that knows stuff. Isn't it end of March officially is, the, is like the latest? That's when the, uh, the government are going to uh, sit down again and discuss it. But there will be, like, it's like a contract. There's break clauses in between. Are there? So, yeah, I think middle of February is target number one. So it's half term, essentially. Half term. I can do this, Kev. Can you do this? Mm, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Right, um, you and your questions today. Welcome back to the uh, the regular Fuji cast, if you like. And, of, um, of course, if you've been in the, the Fuji cast private Facebook group, you may well have been leaving questions in there, and we'll be getting to those questions. Also, the ones that you've emailed in to click at fujicast.co.uk. If you are not a Fujifilm shooter, do not worry. It's a big community, and whatever flavour you shoot, you're very welcome. Thank you to those of our friends who've uh, been supporting us on Patreon, which for the price of a coffee keeps the show growing and going. We were supposed to change that, weren't we? <laughs> we were. And, and today I have a list of people that we need to read out. Latest Patreon. That are going. No, that are growing. That are growing. <laughs> and uh, what's your book of the week this week, Kev? My book of the week this week is a, uh, a very contentious Bruce Gildin book called Face. Why is it contentious? Oh, yes, I know why it's contentious. Oh, yes, it is. And uh, today's interview is with Steve Smith, who is a street photographer, very good um, printer, and um, and he's going to talk about actually some of his work that he's been doing uh, when he when he gets the opportunity to fly in uh, in cuba so steve smith on the show a little bit later on right who's going first with the questions kev 
Uh, I'll go first because yep. I've got I've got one that's quite appropriate to the timing oh, that right, we okay. live in. Yeah. This is from Indy Lehman. So this came into the Facebook group with the questions uh, thread. With regards to photojournalists, given the events that unfolded in Washington D.C. on Wednesday, how do the images get from the photographer to the news outlets oh. for posting on websites, etc.? Oh. If the photographer is imaging for six hours in an environment that is rapidly evolving. They can't just stop and submit their photos. What is the latest high-tech solution for this? Well, they're wiring, aren't they, for a start from their yeah. uh, uh, cameras. I will say one thing, that uh, without without it sounding like an instant plug for my other podcast, Kev, <laughs> but, but <laughs> on Photography Daily on Saturday, Saturday just gone, I, I talked with uh, David Buto, who is a Washington, D.C.-based photographer. He came across to, to Washington right at the start of... Um, of, of Trump's presidency because he wanted to hang out, as he called it, for a while, not expecting it to last that long um, because he wanted to be in town as the, the Trump thing was going on. And, of course, he's lasted the entire term. But he was talking about being... He was right in the thrust of it. And if you look at his photos... I mean, I've got his links to Redux, and I'm not, I'm not sure whether Redux is... I think that's maybe something sent to news desks. But anyway, to see his pictures, he is totally in the thick of it. And I did, I did ask him, I said, uh, what about, how did you get those pictures out? And um, he had left purposefully, because he knew it was going to be quite wild, his laptop and his phone in the office uh, in a, near to cap, the, the Capitol building. And he had to go there to get the pictures out because he said it's just too rough and tumble. There was no way, there was no way he could be doing that as it was all as it was all just going along. It was, it was pretty tricky, I think, for a lot of them to get these pictures out as quickly as they did. Yeah. And I do know, I mean, yeah, that, that aside, in terms of the rough and tumbleness of it, I do know that, uh, you know, a lot of them are tethering to their phone in terms right. of yeah. using cameras with Bluetooth and, yeah. and, you know, wireless and all that kind of stuff. And it is reasonably easy to do that. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, the challenge is if you need to, if you've taken 10,000 pictures, which a lot of these guys do, and quite rightly, because you need to get, you know, get the, the yeah as many opportunities of telling the story as possible then a lot of them will use something like photo mechanic downloads really quickly sit on the in a side street or something and um and fling them over to the news desk but yeah it's it's called wiring there's various various ways of doing it i would imagine um but yeah if you're in the field it's going to be using um you know mobile technology phones tablets you know, I mean, a lot of these places now have 5G as well, remember. So yeah, yeah. if they've got the latest tech, they've got the uh, the speed of the dragon. He had to make a bit of a decision, actually. This is an interesting decision that uh, because he, he didn't I don't think he, I don't think he expected for one moment that uh, the protesters would get into the building itself. And uh, there are pictures of him uh, uh, that he's been taking at the, at the foot of the steps when he saw it happening. He thought, my God, and he. He's, he kind of he had to make this decision: Do I go with it, knowing that there there could be some, as there was in the end, um, some fire uh, in there? And thank God that there weren't more deaths than that there were. I'm surprised that it, it was at the lower number because um, it could have been so much worse. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that, that well, I think quite, there's been five now, hasn't there? Five yeah, people died. I think yeah. And the latest, the, as we go to print, as it yeah. were, with this, um, a policeman lost his life as well. Um, mm. And uh, so, I mean, they're decisions that you make on the fly, and uh, never mind the photos being sent off. Can you imagine those decisions you're making 
Uh, you're, mm. you're seeing history and thinking, do I? He went with it. Uh, do, well, do, I would yeah. imagine. I don't know because I've never been in that circumstance. But I would imagine that in in a lot of these cases, they just send a lot of pictures and let the picture editor on the desk That's decide right. which yeah. ones they're going to use. Yeah. I can't imagine that the photographer themselves are sitting through thinking, oh, I quite like the composition Good of that God, one. No, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think the picture editor is doing his job. And they're JPEGs. Um, I, yeah. I, I know that they, they send these off as, as JPEGs. They're not being sent off as raw files. They're JPEGs are pinging out left, right and centre. And later on, if there's a particular signature image they, they're going to use again and again then they may rework a, 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 a raw file. But generally, these are what well, they are. They're JPEGs that are going out. Well, I think for the press stuff, it's even the retouching has to be very minimal cropping right, and yeah, brightness, yeah, and that's yeah, it, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Good yeah. question, Indy. Thank you very much. Um, this one is from Mark Dell. Um, Hi, chaps. Love the podcast. Yadda, yadda, yadda. The Fuji X100V is my favourite of the series. And... Um, I uh, I do use the two currently available lens adapters. Would the would the Fuji gods ever consider a light telephoto short version for the X100? Of course, it's almost against the true use of the camera design, but it would be a great asset to the already superb camera. Perhaps a 55 um, f4 or, or similarly short lens. Any other manufacturers thinking of listening? Perhaps make one. Um, thanks in advance from Mark. What do you think? Well, you've you've this this was your camera of the year, twenty twenty one camera of the year. Yeah, well, actually, that that gives us time to plug the um, Ask Andreas. We've got Ask Andreas does, coming yeah. back at yeah. the end of the month, uh, at the end of this month, and there is a thread on the Facebook group that you can ask questions directly to Andreas. Now, Andreas is the marketing manager of Fujifilm UK, and uh, you know, all round general good guy. Um, so he will be able to answer those kinds of questions. However, if you're not on the uh, Facebook group, feel free to, to send them in via email as well. Um, so, yeah, questions like that, why they haven't made certain things, then Andreas might be the, the right person to to answer. Personally, yeah, I agree. I agree with Mark. Um, I would. I like the, uh, the wide-angle converter for the X100 mostly. Um, I, ironically, the you know the the wide angle and the teleconverter have very different sizes, very different. Um, you kind of just screw them on the front. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's in the pipeline in terms of, of making stuff? I've a feeling. Um, my spidey senses tell me, or rather, I'm reading a lot on Fuji rumors that there's a whole load of new stuff going to be announced relatively soon. What? What are, um, you, what are you reading on Fuji rumors that's about to be announced? Stuff. What stuff? Stuff. Secret stuff. <laughs> okay. Right. Secret stuff. Things. things. Cameras, lenses, right. stuff. Okay. Uh, Mark twos of things. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, honestly, well, there's only one long, Mark II. The days are long gone when I used to know things about there's this. There's only one Mark II that we talk constantly about. Hang on, it's done here in my bag. Well, not the Mark II, obviously, the Mark I. Oh, that could <laughs> be an XH1 Mark II or an XH2. <laughs> <laughs> they can't call it XH1 Mark II, no. even if there is an XH1 Mark no, II. No, I, I, I realise that. <laughs> so I was saying it. An, X, an XH2 then. Is it an XH2, Kev? <laughs> am, I being a, am I being a bit of a devil here? <laughs> no idea. I honestly have no idea. Seriously, no idea. That's why we've got Andreas coming on. All right. um, I, you know what? I would love all of the camera manufacturers to have nice names. I mean, I like X100, I quite like the idea of that. X-Pro, I get the idea of that. 
but then it gets all very complicated doesn't it and and then the sony ones my god it's like looking at the you know yeah. kind of uh, chinese menu for food <laughs> Uh, R1A1, two S's, and cars are the same, you know. It's like, why can't they just call a camera like something like, call it, I don't know, Fred? Oh, they tried to do that with, uh, what was it, the the Vauxhall car, the Vauxhall Adam. (laughs) Fujifilm Suzanne. I never quite got round that. Yeah, the Canon thing always confused me a bit with the the model numbers that we have here and Rebel and Rebel if it's in America. Uh, Yeah, very confusing. Very confusing. uh, And then Fujifilm really kind of confused me loads when they brought out the XF10 because the XF is the nomenclature for the lenses. Mm. And and when they said XF10, I was like, oh, is that a 10mm lens? Turned out to be a camera. (laughs) Confused me even more. (laughs) I know, I know. All right, we we shall consider. Uh, we, should, uh, <laughs> we shall consider. We shall consider. Right, yours from Facebook. Uh, okay, uh, mine from the. He <laughs> threw me a bit there because I was I was waiting for a little bit more. Um, what, okay, what, this what, is from. What more did John. you want? Did you want me to push you a bit more on what's coming out? No, John, because <laughs> I don't know honestly. No, he does. Everybody he does. He does. Does know. You put thumb screws on him, he'll tell you everything. <laughs> John Almonte, the man from Almonte. <laughs> Why do some people? Oh, here we go. Why do some people bash the XH1 because of the bigger grip, but then put a third-party grip on the XT cameras? Absolutely, yes. Uh, well, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a like out there question because I don't, I don't think I have ever ever seen anybody say I hate the XH1 and at the same time holding an XT camera with with a battery grip in their hand. So presumably, John has come across those people. I certainly haven't, um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the X-H1 is, for me, I think, was the camera, the least, the camera I was least interested in because yeah. of the size of it. I never, I do, we will always disagree with this, you and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. It's a, it's a good, it's a good selling camera. So the reason why I didn't like it was because the, the ergonomics of it were vastly different to the yeah. way that Fujifilm range had been going. It feels so good in the hand, though. Yeah, it just wasn't, mm. wasn't for me, but that doesn't yeah. mean it's not for other people, of course. I am. I think if if there is an XH2 coming out, that's the way I will go. I will with my Fuji kit. It will be XH. I love the XT, by the way. I've used it for years, obviously, for weddings. But um, I really think that I it will be XH. That's how it will become for me, uh, in particular with my filming work. I just because I love the ergonomics of this camera. It's always I just yeah love it. We'll, we'll never agree on that, obviously. But no, and that's a good thing. He goes, John goes on to say the shutter release button on the XH1 is more comfortable on the XT line, yep. in his opinion. Oh, he right, does okay. caveat it with in his opinion. Oh, okay. um, whereas in my opinion, it's not. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. I, you say tomatoes, I say tomatoes. Tomatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so is there an XH2 coming out? Moving on. Um, okay, here's, here's. I would not know anyway. <laughs> Get the thumb screws out, everybody. Here's one from William Mound. Hi Neil, hi Kev. Firstly, uh, a big thank you for both of you to both of you for the for the fab podcast. You're very welcome, William. I sent this question in a few weeks ago, but I don't think I heard the answer. I don't think I saw the question. Um, this year has shown me uh, that now is the time to do those someday maybe plans. I'm really close with my dad, and I've always thought about taking a photography class with him. I know he used to take classes as a youngster with his old man, and uh, I'd love to continue that. I'm a hobbyist amateur and a Fuji film shooter, and he used to shoot film in his youth, but has since moved on to now shooting on his iPhone. 
Uh, do you have any advice for people interested in taking evening classes in photography just for the love of it? I have no other motivation than to learn something new and to spend some time with my dad. I'm in my late 20s and a master's student, and he's in his early 60s. I'll be moving back to New York City next year, where he lives and would love to take a class then. Um, so that's from William Mound, currently living in Colombia, uh, Bogota in, in Colombia. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done an even, evening class, Kev, and uh, I, I absolutely loved it. I'm, and I found my files the other day up in the attic. I think we talked about these before, my old black and white, all my old test strips and all that kind of stuff found it up in the attic and i didn't come down and sam shouted up in the loft hatch you okay have you fallen over uh having found this stuff i think it's a, i think it's a what a lovely idea to go with your dad and do a, a night course in photography oh yeah no it'd be amazing yeah. absolutely yeah i mean there must be loads of courses in new york when when the world you know finally yeah. gets its ass back into life mm. um yeah i think it's great i i i've i've never been on a on an evening course but i've run evening courses yeah um and yeah they're 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 kind of gentle nice things to do a couple of hours once a week yeah all good i really yeah, loved the opportunity to uh get into the dark room and, and work in the dark room um that, that this the college i went to had a really really uh, good dark room I, th I think they had a couple um so that might be one thing to look out for make sure you choose a a course which has um which has the opportunity to get into a dark room I think that's important because I, I, I think that's something you'll both enjoy a lot, um, developing film and then you know, processing film and then developing it and bringing it alive in, the, in those rooms. Um, that's one. Th maybe that's the thing I would suggest. Go for one that – because I know they don't all have dark rooms. So I think that would be an important thing to, to make sure you do. There will be some in New York, of course. So, yeah, I mean, if that's if you both fancy doing something very different, but something your dad might be a little bit familiar with from from the older days, then older then, yeah, days. film, that would be that would be really cathartic, wouldn't yeah, it? I'd yeah, love to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know Siren Sosta. Siren Sosta. <laughs> I know Siren Sesta. <laughs> Siren Sesta. I haven't had a drink in, uh, ooh, a 20 minutes <laughs> you clearly need more <laughs> no, i haven't had a drink since monday as right. well sirencester college yeah where i do they so do there's another one kev sirencester college where <laughs> where i do my courses they do um film photography lessons as well yeah right. say sirencester again sirencester say nikon nikon <laughs> <laughs> he's there he's got it um have we got time for a, a, another one from you um before we uh, go to uh, steve smith um, um yeah, go on. yeah one, let me one just more, throw a quick one, one, more, one, one in more. from tj ludek okay he says uh do you think film offers a quality and character unattainable with digital cameras and do you think shooting film is more enjoyable than shooting digital or vice versa ah. and why yeah go. um you know i i um oh, i wish i had my my quote can i can i go and rescue something i'll now? give you a quote what's that two thousand pounds <laughs> i'll pay it twice all right for you all right for you 2200 do, do your answer for a moment I'll all just, right last offer 2500 i need to go into the uh into the cupboard and find something hold on kev keep talking uh okay do you think film offers a quality and character unattainable with digital cameras probably is my answer to that in fact yeah almost definitely uh however obviously it comes with its own channel are you still there have you gone have you gone to make a cup of tea He's left me flying the aircraft by myself. Um, yeah, so the no, I quality... I find something. There was... Hang on, I'm just landing the plane. Oh, so, Kev, I, I rescued this out of 
Uh, because I'm a good boy. Uh, the paper that we have here that uh, we, we do recycle. So I'll rescue this out the recycle. It was some question, uh, questions from an interview that I, I did the other day uh, with a producer um, of a television programme about photographers that worked during the Troubles and um, in Northern Ireland. And one of the, uh, one of the photographers um, said... Big pictures are nothing about the quality, the focus, even the composition. It seems from this that big pictures are the ones that nobody else has. In terms of film, because um, this was all shot and filmed during the Troubles, nobody was worried about the... Uh, does this play into the question? Have, have I gone a sort of slightly different tangent on this one? Nobody was... Mm. Yeah, nobody, I think yeah, they weren't really worried about... You know, Was it in focus? There was a particular... I mean, it's a hot... Do you remember the the... There were ghastly images of, of the two corporals that got themselves caught up mm. in the, the funeral cortege. Do you remember that story from, from the, yeah, yeah, the Troubles? Yeah. Um, what they were doing there, nobody knows, but they were there. They were, they were, they, they, they were stopped. Um, they were dragged out of their cars and murdered, weren't they? So it was a mm -hmm. dreadful story. One of the corporals, I think, who was on the right-hand side of the car, uh, discharged his... Um, uh, his uh, his uh, army pistol and everybody parted for a second and and during that moment I think when he was clambering out the car one of the photographers um, uh, who was on the other side of the street took a pic he was uh, the only one on the other side of the street took took a picture looking back in and got that photograph and um, and that photograph is probably one of the most important from the troubles of that that particular time along with the bloody um, Sunday stuff as well. And and that was that was the response that was given by by a photographer. He says it doesn't matter that the picture was slightly out of focus. I've I've never seen a I've never seen a picture that's in focus at that moment. The biggest one is the one that that nobody else has. Yeah, that's more about the the impact of the image rather than yeah. the the actual character of the of the picture itself. But yeah, I mean it all comes down to uh, times are different, technology is different, and I do think that you will. Uh, you do get stuff in film. I've, I've got a lot, a load of old film pictures here that my mum's been giving me, and I've, I've actually been buying a whole load of stuff off, off um, eBay in various places. In fact, I, I, I did a, uh, I did a random grab of a load of stuff on on um, eBay, and it turned out to be thirty-five mil slides from one of the royal photographers. Oh my so word! Loads of, loads of kind of um, press photos of the royal family in the eighties. Do you, do you know the photographer? Yeah, so the photographer was uh, was somebody called John Shelley. Right, John Shelley. Uh, okay, John Shelley. Yeah, and so and he was uh, he was one of the press photographers for for the royal family in the eighties, wow. and I've got like I don't know three hundred thirty five mil slides of this, and I, and it was a random oh. selection. Yeah, um, because I'm you know I'm, I've got the, a project ongoing that I'm I'm trying to kick off with uh, kind of pictures of people we don't know. <laughs> And uh, and yes, yeah, so I'm looking through these sites. They turned up in the post, and I was like, "Blimey, these all look uh, these look like people I know." And, <laughs> they, and were. Sure enough, they were, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And John yeah. Shelley, uh, and so I did a little bit of research on John Shelley, and uh, well, I say I did a little bit of research. I popped his name into Google, and um, it, it does kind of come up as a there's a, a illustrator and then a uh, like a, an official press photographer. Um, so yeah. He's he's quite well known. Was quite well known. I didn't. I'd never heard of him though. But yeah, got a load of his original thirty-five mil slides. Your project sounds fascinating. What, uh, can you tell us more about it? Or not at the moment? Uh, is it secret? Yeah, is it secret yeah. squirrel so, at the moment? Yeah. I mean, I must have. I've probably got much to Jenna's uh, annoyance about you know, five 
five to ten thousand 35 mil slides <laughs> i never knew this this is a complete surprise there's stuff i don't know about you kev <laughs> yeah um just i've just found this article by the way about, about john shelley is um from january the 10th 2014 and it was his obituary yeah um news reaches me of the passing of press photographer john shelley aged 81 john was one of the first modern uk royal family press pack photographers having received a phone call from buckingham palace in the summer of 1978 asking if he would like to accompany prince charles on one of his first official overseas tours john accepted and the royal press pack story started um so there you go so i've got a whole load of his stuff um he was born in 1932 he died just before christmas 2013 um yeah so i've got and and that aside i've got all kinds of other things some of these some of these pictures in these 35 mil slides would definitely not be something you would show publicly um the things people took pictures of each other doing um but yeah, so I'm I'm always picking them up. Oh, you you know, in the days when we were allowed to go out and and you know see people and touch things, I would always go to the the um, flea markets and if there was anybody selling a box of 35 mil slides, pick them up. Um, now I've got my my banging uh, uh, headache. <laughs> <laughs> now i've got my banging epsom oh, uh, right. okay. project, uh, <laughs> scanner yeah I, my plan is to you know when i get through all of my other projects that i've got which yeah, is about yeah. 65 yeah um this is on the list yeah so uh god hope we never have to go back to work again kev <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I must say that yeah. on the slides front um I, we found some in a, in a cupboard oh, must, must be going about six months uh, during the first lockdown during the war and um, a load of slides that I'd taken years and years ago of a trip to Egypt. Inside, you can't go in them now. I took pictures inside the, the pyramids. Mm. Um, and it was fascinating to find those. I don't think I was supposed to use flash, but I did. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? I love all that old stuff. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, so that's one of my projects. If anybody does that project now, I shall be very angry. No, well, they've got to collect 10,000 slides to start with, so uh, I think you're pretty safe there. <laughs> and don't forget to filter out some of the more uh, yeah. yeah ones. What have I found? Oh, here's something on eBay from somebody called Gemma selling 10,000 slides. <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 10, slides, 13 camera bags, 45 cameras, That's two it. dogs and a child. Creating some space. Oh, what's this bit? And my husband comes with it. Right, okay. Right, let's let's go for our interview. This week it's going to be Steve Smith. Now, I will say this about Steve. He is a proper quiet giant of social and street documentary. Former winner of the prestigious Association of Photographers Open Awards and the Royal Photographic Society's Print International Award. He's had his work featured in the Sunday Times and Independent on Sunday and exhibited his work as far away as Cuba. But I was told he doesn't shout about himself and he's a calm, thoughtful, methodical photographer who, just like his photography is, is really just as happy disappearing into a crowd to make his photographs of life. Now, we've been meaning to talk to a photographer about awards for a while and in Steve's case, fellowships and the meaning of it and how to shoot for one and so on and... Since Steve is on the fellowship board of the RPS, he's probably not a bad person to ask. I must just point out, since uh, he talks about being in Oxford Street in London, that this was uh, recorded prior to the strengthening of lockdown and, of course, the current complete lockdown in terms of um, how that would clearly affect shooting street for pleasure. This is Steve Smith, FRPS. Steve, you learned the craft in a similar way to me, actually. You went to night school and you, you managed to find a... I know you found a, a particularly interesting tutor who had uh, uh, an interesting and intriguing background. 
What were you doing prior to photography, though, before we get to the night school? Yeah, um, I worked in a, a drawing office. Um, my father, he worked in um, John Brown's shipyards in, in Glasgow. So he was always into environmental engineering, I suppose. And I got an opportunity to go into the drawing office. So I've always been design-based. But but as far as the photography goes, you had a sort of creative bent by the sound of it, being in a drawing office. Oh, yes. I mean... I always loved creating things. Uh, as a kid, I, m- I remember um, one Christmas, I think it was 1964, I was 11 at the time. For Christmas, I got a, a, a Black & Decker drill, electric drill. Now, <laughs> these days, everybody's got a Makita or a DeWalt. Yeah. In those days, uh, for a kid still at primary school, I suppose it was quite unusual. But uh, no, I, w- I always liked creating things. I was always drawing and um and it comes from my father. But the night school is where it starts photographically. Um, yeah. But then the, the person that was uh, tutoring you had, a, I think, a lifetime of military experience, didn't he? Well, he was seconded, to, I suppose, to the RAF during the Second World War. And he was one of the, the darkroom workers, if you like, at um, RAF Medenham, where they processed the film from reconnaissance aircraft after, after bombing raids. Yeah. And um, he would develop the film produced the prints. And I remember him telling me, because he actually produced some of the prints after the uh, Dambusters raid. He was he was still, all those years later, still visibly upset with the devastation. Mm. You know, I think 2,000 people died because mm. of the flooding. Mm. And um, and I always got another friend, actually. He, he worked for a big um, multinational company who had a factory in, in, in the valley below still. And he said they've, they've, they've still got the, the, um, the markings on the wall where, where the flooding occurred. Wow. Just quite devastating, but he was he was a, a true professional, and um, he he ran his night school in High Wycombe. So I thought, I just you know, this sounds interesting. I went along. So it really was off the back of oh, this looks interesting. I could fill my evenings with this a little bit. You had no idea what was going to come from it at that stage, did you? No, I have no idea. But I just want you know, as when you're younger, you got the enthusiasm. You just want to learn yeah. new things. So. Um, yeah, I didn't know where it would lead, but I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the alchemy of the dark room. You know? Well, yeah, that's exactly why I was... That, that was the thing that hit me when I did my night, night school thing. When, when we got past the third or fourth week, um, I remember the um, my tutor saying, right, next week we're going to be in the dark room. And I thought, oh, this sounds good. Do you remember that first experience of a, of a print appearing? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like magic, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's pure magic. You know, within... Within a minute, the image starts to come through, and within two minutes, it's finished. And you know, then it goes into the the stop bath and into the fixer. Would you describe yourself as a, a competent printer, a good printer, or a, an excellent printer? A competent printer, but, but there's there's room for improvement. I mean, I've just built a, a new dark room in lockdown, so that's now fully fitted, and I've, I've got one or two modern age, shall we say, that will will improve the the print quality like um, split contrast. And uh, so you see, you still buy new bits of kit that help the process, especially when it comes to, you know, sampling a negative, you know, the high contrast areas and low contrast. Because we're, we're going to come to the actual projects that you've been working on, but um, I know you've come back to, you, you You went to digital, but you've come back to, to print latterly, yeah. haven't you? Why, why Why is that? I like that, that, that the whole process where you take out a roll of film, you put it in the camera, yeah. you've taken the shot, you don't know whether you've fully got it, or whether it's sharp, whether, you know, whether it's in focus. And when, when, the, when you take a film out of the camera, you stick it in the fridge for, you know, a week or a month or six months, 
and you get it out and you start to process it again and you get the joy of actually saying, cool, I forgot about that. Or that's better than what I thought. And this is the whole process. It's just, it's more, it's more rewarding and it's grounded and it slows you down. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing. You're very considered about what you're taking pictures of. I, I know you live in the Chilterns, which I know reasonably well because I spent a few happy years actually, Steve, in the Chilterns working for local radio stations in the area. But, but you, you prefer the, the urban environments. So what drew you out of your lovely countryside around you there and into the, uh, into the urban atmosphere? Well, I was born in London. I was born in Chelsea. Um, in, in the 60s, uh, we moved around and we ended up in, in, in High Wycombe. And now I live in this lovely, the lovely Chilterns. And it's wonderful yeah. if you want to go for a walk. It is. But if you want to take pictures, there's not a lot going on. And you, I think you're too familiar with your um, surroundings. You go, go to Oxford Circus and you, you, just, you just, you can lose yourself. Yeah. And um, you can blend into the background. And there's always something going on. I mean, I actually like to to find people that are interesting, unusual, or something unusual is happening. And I suppose you've got, because you've got so many more people, you've got a better chance of something unusual happening. I, I know street photographers work in many different ways. Some work, you know, for example, like Bruce Gilden, they're, you know, they're, they're quick, poof, they're yeah. in people's faces. and mm. um, Some are far more considered and patient. Yeah, I'm not a Bruce Gilden, I'm not a Dougie Wallace. You know, um, Dougie Wallace, yeah. I'm a great admirer of his work. He's done some fantastic stuff. But I'd just rather just, just try and be, be a bit more patient and, um, and wait for the moment. What's your advice to people that are, that are uh, hunting for street portraiture, for example? So if you look across your site, there's beautiful uh, street portraiture on there. Do, do, you, have, do you have a, a, a sort of method to, to get into people's hearts? I'm, I'm not really into a lot of street portraiture. For, for a start, if you ask any street photographer, should you make contact with anyone they say no you know you, you should take the picture first and if you talk to them afterwards then fine but mm. you don't want to ruin the moment the street portraiture is a different genre almost um but when you when you do it yes you, you obviously you've got to ask them otherwise it's, it's not it's not going to work yeah. but yes yeah, some people say no and some people um you can tell by the way they're dressed they're extroverts and can't take your picture Yes, please. What no. are what are you after? What when you when Steve Smith goes walking the streets in London, in Oxford Circus? What are you looking for? I mean, you said flamboyant characters is one, but it can't just be that. I suppose we we get into this, the, the actual layering of pictures of, of a picture, where okay, something's happening in the foreground, but also something's happening in the background as well, and and that's called sort of multi-layered pictures and. That's really what you're after, but that that is quite difficult. They're always looking for unusual unusual situations, you know, um, with people with they might be carrying a, a product, you know, a box or, or or something, or hopping over the road or a puddle. But just 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 something that's a, a bit unusual. I mean, we all love people watching. You know, it's, a, it's the great greatest hobby in the world. How do you know when you finished in a day? We think, Steve, that's it. I've got as much as I'm going to get. When your body starts to creep <laughs> and hurts, and <laughs> honestly, um, and I, I suppose I, I walked um, eight miles yesterday. Wow! And yeah. um, so when you, your back starts to ache, and you sit down for half an hour, and it, you recover for another half an hour, but then you thought, let's call it a day and, um, mm. and, and go home. But my enthusiasm, enthusiasm never drains really. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's the body that lets you down. You don't have this trouble when you're, you're a bit younger. <laughs> 
Fellowships. I want to talk about awards and fellowships. We've um, we've discussed um, the, the merits of of them of late on the the show a bit, and there's there's two definite divides. You know, those that say oh, you don't need that, and some people who really work towards it. It's 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 you know either a pinnacle or something that's that's incredibly precious to them. How, how do you sit on that? Because um, the fellowship boards, which we're going to talk about, those from Cuba, for example, have been important to you, haven't they? Establishing your name. And I, I think it's important that. If, you, if I don't think you can let it drive your work. I think if a, if a fellowship comes out of the work, you know, your body of work, your series of work, that, that that's the best way. I think if you chase a fellowship, um, you'll, you'll just be, for want of a better phrase, t- ticking boxes. Mm. And it's not something that everyone can achieve. Uh, you have to reach a, you know, a, a certain level. I mean, I see a lot of people's work, I thought, if they're interesting, that that make, make a great fellowship. Let's talk about your work in Cuba because that uh, that that drew some strong recognition. Did you? You went on uh, originally. You went to Cuba on holiday, didn't didn't you? It wasn't really for a photographic experience. It was, but I I, I did hear an interview where you suggested that you felt you were in the wrong part of the country at one stage. Yeah, we went there for holiday, so we did this two week split: a week in Havana and a week in Veradero. Now Veradero is a is a beach resort. It, it's got a peninsula thirty two kilometers long full of hotels for, for tourists. And not even the locals were allowed to go into this area. They could only get in, in there if if they were working in the hotels. So I spent a, a week in Havana, and um, it was it was wonderful. I mean, not only taking the sort of step back in time, you got the old cars and you got the cigars, but it's just the, the infrastructure, the buildings. You see these wonderful Spanish colonial buildings that are still there, um, even with the original doors, you know, hundred-year-old doors, and um, it was it was unspoiled and very photogenic. So after a week, we head to Veradero, and um, I've, I've got into this hotel, and all the drink and all the food you could eat. I thought I just want to be back in Havana. And what did your wife say when he said, "I want to be back in Havana"? She was sympathetic, but it's far, it's far better to travel around and look at um, the local environments, the local people, yeah. than be locked away in some sanitized hotel. You went back to Cuba then a good a good few times after that with photographic purpose at that stage. You started building this uh, this portfolio of work really that then became the fellowship panel. Yeah, so um, that was the first time. It was two thousand and six, and back in two thousand and eight. Um, and on the flight back from the from the first time there, I was I was thinking about all the images I could have had or should have had. Um, so this, so you, I suppose you, you look upon the, the first trip as a as a recce. The second time, I knew what I wanted to actually do. So I just, basically, I just walked the streets, just looking for pictures and looking for people. And um, I just, I built on it from, from there. Now, now you're working with people who speak a different language. How, 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 does, how is it different when you're working in Oxford Street, Oxford Circus, you know the place well, you've, you've grown up around that, the city, but now you're in an entirely alien environment? Yeah, well, I think sometimes that's, a, that's an advantage. But um, for a start, you've got a different attitude to, to life. Um, South American people... You know, you pick up a camera and they're up for a picture straight away, most of them. You do that on Oxford Street, people will be putting their hands up or turning their heads away. Yeah. Um, we are quite grumpy in 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 this country. But Havana, they, just, they like the tourists. They like the fact that you want to, want to take a picture of them. Okay, some of them want money. Um, I did that the first time I went there, but I've never done it since. And they haven't got as much as we have in the West. 
but they enjoy life. Yeah. They enjoy life. They make, they make the most of it. So really, this is for those that are planning, uh, doing panels. So you've returned to Havana. You've, you've, you're back in Cuba. Uh, you've got this idea for your fellowship panel. What are you looking for? What's the project? What's, what's going on in your mind? Well, I wanted to catch the, the, the people and the environments of, of Cuba, all aspects, you know, from someone who may have lost a limb or, or kids playing in the street or, or women chatting on the doorstep, you know, or people traveling. So I just really want to, mi- to sort of mix it all up, like a snapshot of time in, um, in Havana. And how and uh, when you're putting to, together a fellowship, I mean, you even have to start thinking about whether something's landscape orientated or, or oriented or, or portrait, don't you? Yeah, it's well, I, I didn't worry too much about that at the time. Um, I think when you see pictures and take pictures, it, it's, it's quite natural whether it should be you know in portrait format or, or landscape format. I, I didn't worry too much about that at the time. What makes a, a good fellowship panel? Um, I, I think you, you've got to have good cohesion. You, you've got to make sure that all the pictures look like they came from the same person mm. um so you have to be careful in, in p- post-production and it, it's, it's quite difficult but um i wouldn't say a style but um you you have to make sure that each picture is up uh, i liken it to, to a book when you read a book every paragraph is is, is different and if you're looking at a series of work or, or a fellowship you don't want to read that paragraph twice no. um so you want to tell a different story with each picture I think that's that's important. Has the mood changed towards street photographers? Um, I, I did hear um, again. I heard in an interview you did a story of a run-in that you had at Scarborough Beach, for for example. And I and I talk often with uh, news photographers that say, oh, these days, where where you wouldn't wear wear the word press on the back of your." Uh, of your jacket anymore and i think the attitude towards photographers has changed quite a lot over the last couple of years even well there ha- i mean there has been explosion in 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 photography in general whether it's with an iphone or or a, a dslr and street photography in, in particular you go, you go back 20 years ago you mentioned street photography nobody knew what you're talking about no. it's social documentary taken in the streets yeah there are some sort of conflicting opinions of, about photographers and, and some of them don't do themselves any favors they're, they're quite they're quite pushy, so I think we've we've got to be a bit careful and and respect. You know, think about the situations you're in. Well, with the Scarborough incident, um, I just found that bizarre. Talk, talk me through that. Um, well, we were travelling up to the Lake District. We went up the east coast, and um, we, we we drove into Scarborough one day, and I had a, the, the Canon One DS uh, Mark Three, and. Um, yeah, I'm a great admirer of um, Martin Parr's early work. Uh, early work. Yeah. So I was wandering around the promenade and around the beach and, and taking pictures and thought n- nothing of it. And I went back after about an hour, met my wife and decided, I said, let's move on. And uh, we got stopped by by three police cars on the way out of uh, Scarborough. They looked at my images and uh, didn't have a problem at all and let us on, on our way. But um, it's, it's quite upsetting. You know, if you think street photographers are hard nose and don't care, believe you me, it's very upsetting yeah. to think that someone thinks you've, you know, you, you've been taking inappropriate pictures. So I'm very careful that I don't put myself in, in that position again where, where you can even be questioned. Has it changed? Well, it, obviously it has then. It's changed the way you make pictures, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you look historically, historically at you know, Cartier-Bresson and, and great pictures of the past, where, you know, many of his images include his children. Now in this country, well, you know, you cannot do that so easily. Mm. Um, you might get an upset parent, someone 
may, may lose their temper. You just know you don't know what's going to happen. It's it's, it's, it's not predictable. So you just you just don't do it. Just I, I just advise anybody don't get involved with, with with children in the picture unless you've got parents' consent. So you were working at Oxford Circus uh, over the last few days. Does that mean there's a new project in the off here? Well, I think it's important to have projects and and add to them. I mean, with Oxford Street, I've been shooting there probably the last ten years, I, I suppose. Yeah. And um, so you, you got to you got a body of work, and you've just got to keep adding to it. And there will be a cut-off cut period sometime, but I haven't quite reached that yet. Um, I know he's just quite often seen Matt Stewart down Oxford Street taking photographs, but I haven't seen him of late. So I suppose everybody has to reach, reach a point where they say enough is enough. But I haven't reached that yet. I mean, in the fridge, I've probably got 120 rolls of film to be um, developed. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> and, and a lot of those are from Oxford Street in the West End. Is there a reason you keep those uh, for, for quite some time before you look at them? Well... We moved house sort of 10 years ago, then the house we live in now, we went through a big building project. So um, I lost the dark room, I lost the facility to develop films and, and print them. Um, so I just keep them in the freezer. So it's almost that time now where I get them out of the freezer yeah. and develop them. Well, thanks to Steve Smith for joining us on the show this week. And of course, if you'd like to see his work, we'll link to it on the website, fujicast.co.uk. Just a quick mention for the week ahead on Photography Daily. After you've listened here, of course, we have three open editions this week. Today I talked to um, Vanessa Simpson about her legacy projects, making pictures of loved ones, recording the sound and making very personal documentaries. A project that was about to, to properly launch when COVID hit in March last year, but it's designed to be really a story of inspiration for those who are starting afresh in this business at this time. And uh, then Wednesday, the Danish music celeb portrait photographer Søren Solkia talks about an incredible long-tail international project photographing street artists, many of whom would rather not have their faces shown at all. Some ingenious ways to get around it. And talking of tales, tenuous perhaps, but uh, he also talks about a project photographing starling murmurations that uh, has gone crazy for him in a good way. You never know when that project is about to capture people's attention. In, uh, in a way that you'd never thought it uh, it could. So that's coming up uh, during the week. Also, actually, with the, the scenes at the Capitol last week, there's, uh, there's a, an opportunity, a, a chance that we may be joined in a, in a special by a photographer whose pictures went viral after one particular attack caught on camera. That's on Photography Daily this week, which is available on all main podcast apps. Right, back to your questions. Here's one from uh, John Baisley. Greetings from Cuba Petty. Uh, we've, we've spoken about Cuba Petty. It's where, um, did you see that project that, uh, that John Baisley has done, where old cars go to die or something? He's got a book out now, I yeah, saw, or a I magazine. Know, I know, yeah. I know, it's amazing. Um, uh, anyway, that's Cuba Petty. With so many upgrades over the years with camera bodies and lenses from Fujifilm, what justification, if any, do you tell yourself when upgrading a camera body or lens when it's released from Fujifilm? Take the, uh, take, take the X100 series as, as an example. They kept the same lens from the X100 through to the X100F, yet they had sensor changes, some autofocus upgrades. What is the yes, I have to have that moment? I like that. What is the yes, I have to have that moment? Well, what, what's it for you then, Kev? Um, well, X100 is just yes, I have to have it. Yeah, it I think there's a little bit of that with that. But for me, I mean, I... <sighs> I don't know if I ever have. Uh, it has to be something 
that I know is going to make things better for me. Um, that's what I typically go, I, you know, I don't just buy it because I can, um, you know, so I, yeah, it has to be, it has to be something that I'm, I need. I think I need, I think I want, uh, you know, it's why I don't have XT4 at the moment. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the lenses I never had, I never got, I still use 23 mil, the original 23, 1.4, 56, 1.2. Yeah. Still use those a lot. Um, I did get a set of the F2 primes, but some of those I sold. Um, you know, so yeah. I mean, to me, it has to be has to make you know economic sense. Do you think lockdown and this period is is really, I suppose, um, certified in your mind that you think in that way that now it has to be what I need rather than what I want? Because I'm, I must admit, I was a bit of a. I have have always been in my in my 16 years of working professionally as a, as a photographer, a, a bit of a leap at it merchant, you know, oh, I've got to have that. Um, the, you know, I must try that. Oh, that looks a great toy. But now, um, you know, needs must and all the rest of it, it, it. very. I've had to look very carefully at what makes my pictures better? What makes my filming better? What do I feel comfortable with when, when you know, the camera is in my hand? What am I confident that I can get out of the camera that is in my hand? And I think, I think definitely this period has changed that in me. Yeah, I don't think I've ever kind of had that. I, that's, that's a classic gas symptom. Isn't oh, it? totally. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I suppose I suppose it's not true that I've never had that, but I, you know I, I I definitely feel like I'm more pragmatic with my my purchases um, in terms of cameras. Other shit I buy all sorts of though, <laughs> like ten thousand slides, like ten thousand slides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, but printers I mean, and projectors and yeah, bags. Well, there we go. I mean, that's as expensive. The amount of printers I've had that I yeah. that I've had used and sold again. Um, because I, I just have a relationship with printers where banding seems to be the the, the name of the game. I mean, mm. and and camera bags. Actually, that trip up to the attic uh, over the last week, I can't believe how many camera bags are up there. Mm. I didn't dare look inside them. There'll be spiders sort of set up home and have small families and communities in there. I would have thought, but <laughs> but I I yeah, camera bags. I mean, some of I got rid of loads of camera bags. Did you? No, Kev, really. Yeah. Yeah, I got rid of loads of them. I had loads. Um, I got rid of them. I, I didn't throw them out. I, I I went to the pub and gave them to people. What, just randomly? Well, yeah. Hi, I'm Kev. Do you want a camera bag? He's a <laughs> yeah. funny bloke. Well, no, people just... I recognise than you. Oh, did you? you know. oh, I thought you just meant you walked in. <laughs> <laughs> like the person that comes in with the flowers, you know. Yeah. But thanks very inside, much. Inside each bag was 10,000 cigarettes, mind. Is it? What? No. <laughs> What's going on? Kev, it's the black market in Malmesbury. Do you want a camera bag? Really means, do you want 10,000 cigarettes? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so gas, we all have gas to a certain yeah. extent, don't we? But I think, I think you, you, yeah. you know, you're right. Now we need to be more sensible than ever. It, uh, I've, I've certainly changed in that respect. Now a camera will be for me what it what it does best for me. Mm. Uh, and I'll split that into two. What ones film best for me? What ones photograph best for me? What lenses I actually use, as opposed to the ones that have sat in the camera bag and really have not been used for so, so long. Mm. You, you know, including your 35mm, which I'll one day give back to you. Yes. <laughs> right, your turn. Okay, so back to the Facebook group. And the question is from Johnson John. And he says, autofocus question. Isn't that John St. John? 
John, John St. John. I said it because I knew it would get us in trouble. Yeah. Well, get, yeah, got me in trouble before. Go on. I like it when we get in trouble. <laughs> John St. John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be in trouble. Uh, uh, autofocus question. Yes. Uh, what makes a lens slow to pick up and acquire its subject, but others snap and lock? I read the 56 1.2 could miss its target and stay focused on background, yet the 50 f2 hits it. I understand that a lot of glass is moving around in big aperture lenses, but they also let in a lot more light. So it can't be weight because that's a motor issue and it can't be amount of light from image. There you go. What do you think about that? Well, I always thought the 56 actually was pretty brisk. Um, I, know, I know the APD version is supposedly slower and in real terms almost to stop less of light wide open, but isn't it about relationship between body and lens that affects this? I mean, if the lens isn't letting enough light in, then the camera starts to huff and puff. So less light, smaller glass, less speed, isn't it? I mean, there, there's a trade-off, but but that that doesn't really that doesn't really explain the 50 mil being being a bit brisker um, in, in this respect, does it? I'm going to say something quite controversial. Oh, are you? Warning, warning. Stand by. I read constantly the 56 1.2 is slow to focus and, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. In my head, when I read that, I'm shouting out, you're not using it properly. There you go. Right. There's my controversy for today. If you think the 56 1.2 is slow, then you're not using it properly. Is that Learn because of uh, back button focusing and all that sort of thing? Not necessarily about. that, but, but you know, understand where the, um, uh, where the focus acquisition plane is on the camera that you're using. Yes, back button focusing will work. Understand the um, continuous focus um, options in the camera. Uh, you, you know, just just use it properly. It's it. Of course, it's not going to be as pin sharp and, and fast as as lenses that were made ten years later. Because ultimately, you know, the f two lenses, okay, eight years, are, are, are going to be using newer technology, uh, newer motors, um, less glass to move around, as John as John kind of alludes to. But yeah, the fifty six one point two could miss its target he says um but yes it could miss its target if you don't use it properly i i literally have honestly no problems with that lens whatsoever and don't think i ever have um and i still have the very first one that i bought and the 56 uh, was first gen wasn't it yeah for the, 56 yeah. 1.2 first generation yeah. um so no problems with that but it is true that some lenses are slower than others of course it is um but mostly that is as far as my understanding it is down to things like the glass that's in there yeah. the amount of elements specifically some lenses have more elements than others um and also the you know the the technology that's in there um some of them have kind of linear motors and you know some of them don't and and so yeah, typically lenses that are older will be slower mm. um but there is no the 56 1.2 is not uh, does not miss focus the photographer misses focus you heard that from kev there we go all complaints sent in this week via our wives as always yes right book what do we have? Oh, more controversy. Yeah, a, a controversial book, I think, is is the way to call it. Yep. Um, by a controversial photographer, Bruce Gildin. Yes. Our mate Bruce. Um, and this book is called Face, which it's actually uh, a Dewey Lewis publishing book. And uh, I love that name, Dewey Lewis. Very Welsh sounding. And, and the news. Oh, no, that was Huey Lewis. Dewey Lewis and the news. <laughs> Huey, Lu- Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis. Uh, I think he does a show on uh, Six Music now, doesn't he? I'm sure he does. 
with a very Dewey Lewis and the Books. That's why there should be a podcast called There's Dewey Lewis and His Books. Dewey Lewis and His Books. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think it would go completely over the head of some people. That one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to. So this is a uh, book that's um, large. It's kind of bigger than a four, a vertical kind of book, yeah. but not not huge in terms of pages. Um, I don't know how many I would hazard a guess at maybe 150, something like that. Now, I'm going to just quickly read a little bit of the blurb off the off the context. Um, and it says, uh, here are Bruce Gilding's people. Uh, he shares their teeth, their stubble, their scrapes and their blemishes, their fear of death. In the women's scowls, in the sternly ambiguous glances, he sees his own mother's face before she killed herself. Wow. We live in the world whose visual uh, lingua uh, visual lingua franca has rapidly become the decontextualized, always posed, mechanically lit idiom of social media, of Instagram, and yes, of Facebook. So that's the first part of the introduction. Um, now, the reason why I read that bit out was because a lot of people look at this body of work. I saw this body of work at Fotokina in Germany, uh, I don't know, four years ago, maybe even longer than that. And it was in the Leica had a massive hall at Photokina, huge. And they had the, um, this, this body of work was printed in this theater. You go into this theater, it was yeah. huge and dark. And all they had were these images and they were, I don't know, maybe 10 feet tall. And they're all staring at you with beautiful light. And they are graphic pictures. They are very close up pictures of these people. Um, and the whole po- and he got in, you know, a lot of people were, were saying, well, what, what gives you the right to kind of, you know, get that close to people, take these pictures and they are portraits. They're not, they're not his traditional run around the street, take a picture and then run off kind of thing. Um, so they you know, these people know they're having their pictures taken, mm. but, but it, for all intents and purposes, it would look like he's, uh, he, you know, he's, he's gravitated to people who are, let's say, uh, you know, not, n- not traditionally beautiful looking. Um, but what ha- I also went to see him talk about this book at the, the photography show and, uh, somebody asked him this question, you know, why, why are you making people look ugly? Oof, he went off his absolute <laughs> rocker, absolute <laughs> rocker. I thought he was going to walk off the stage, really? um, oh. but his argument was spot on. He was like, what, what makes you think that these people are ugly? Yeah. Um, and then he went on to talk about his mum and, you know, um, what happened there and the reason why he, he was interested in this body of work and, the, and people that are on the, uh, you know, perhaps on the, on the edges of society. So I think it's a really, really important book. And I just, as we're recording this now, I just, uh, I just popped it in to see if it was available on Amazon. Um, it is available on Amazon. It's uh, three hundred and twenty-five pounds. So uh, <laughs> you'll get in trouble, my You'll be in trouble. <laughs> a little bit cheaper on Aid Books, perhaps, yeah. or um, keep an eye out for it on the Oxfam website and various places like that if you're interested in it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it is a really these are really high detailed portraits of people. So I'm I'm just flipping now. Um, I've got a picture here. George from Miami, Miami, Florida. Um, And they're all color. They're all obviously taken on his Leica. They're very close, very high contrast. If any editing has been done to them, it's been done very, very subtly and very, very well. Um, He he usually illuminates with flash or bang with a flash, handheld flash. He often uses two flashes. Yeah, he often uses two ring flashes. Two, huh? But you're, you're seeing the absolute 
pores of their skin, Brittany May, St. Paul, Minnesota, USA. You, you know, it's it's hard to describe the pictures without seeing them. Um, you know, we've got teeth here that are, are well, mostly missing and, and the rest that are yellow. Um, you know, it's this just brutally, brutally honest, I think. You see, that, um, um, that, it was an interesting question that person asked then at the, the, the photography um the photography show. No, the photography show. Um, because he, he hasn't gone on a beauty pageant hunt here. No. But, and, and, you know, it's a very difficult, very difficult question to pose to him. But, but it's a fair question, I think, because when you look at the, 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 the pictures here, he hasn't gone for average-looking bloke or girl. He has gone for people who stand out in one way or t'other. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a fair description of how he's gone hunting for these portraits. And I use hunting advisedly. Uh, yeah, I think there's two there's two angles to that, isn't there? There's one that says, you know, why should we always be looking at pictures of beautiful people? And why can't we see the everyday ordinary or the people that are, you know, struggling with the, the way that they look? Well, we haven't gone halfway on this. Well, his argument, his argument, and I think it's it's valid, is that these people don't think that they're ugly. No, no, and I'm not saying ugly. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm just saying they are a very different look. If, if oh God, I could get myself in a lot of trouble here. <laughs> this is how the conversation went. The God, I can imagine it did, yeah. It was oh. like a circle of space going around this fella that asked the question. But I, I bet you a lot of people Everybody were... like backing away. But I bet you a lot of people in that, in that auditorium were thinking, that's a question I'd like to have asked, but I would never have dared... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a valid question for sure. But, you know, he his point is that, uh, you know, it is really about, uh, you know, I suppose kind of contextualizing why, you know, this this social media world that we live in and, you know, the beauty and, and you know, why do, none of these people in this picture are making themselves look like ducks and pouting and none <laughs> of them have, yeah. have injected their skin with Botox so they look like, you know, frying pans. They, 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 you know, they are what they are. They they wouldn't be able to afford to do that in the first place, and they are they are what they are, and they are happy in their skin, yeah. and and that's the whole point of it. And you well, know, specific face. You're not going to hang any of these on your living room wall, I can imagine. No, no. There, there is a juxtaposition photo when you said nobody's injected themselves with collagen or whatever that that thing is you put into your lips. There is oh. one picture that I, I found here on uh, on the internet that uh, that that is very much that person that. Uh, perhaps wasn't comfortable in their face before that's decided to do all those things but these are yeah you're right these are very honest pictures aren't they very yeah. honest i wonder how he approaches these people i wonder what he says to them that would be interesting yeah I, well i uh, the the the, uh, the the thing at the photography show was a you know it was an hour and a half with with bruce gildin and it was q a based he did explain uh, you know that he he kind of spent time with these people and, and explained everything to them. It's, you know, his typical street, he's typically known for his, his, you know, in your face, brash street yeah, photography. Yeah. Um, and this is very different to that. You know, this is portraiture, not classical portraiture, but it's portraiture nonetheless. There was something following the show written by Sean O'Hagan, who, who, uh, who writes for the Guardian, who said a latter day freak show. Bruce Gilden's extreme portraits are relentlessly cruel. He wasn't the one that asked the question, was he? <laughs> don't think so you know it's what you look like i i yeah i Why think it, make, it is yeah. what it is people are gonna have different opinions of yeah. it fascinating book if you can afford to buy it <laughs> yeah yeah mine's for sale 250 quid <laughs> i need more slides 
<laughs> I need more slides. I need to get more money for more slides. Uh, actually, this question is, um, is, is very good, actually, and it follows the book almost like it was planned. This is from Andreas Noah, um, who's in Nerstein in Germany. Hi, guys. Always uh, thank you very much for the, the, the podcast, which helps improve my English. See? We're like homeschooling. <laughs> um, question. Likely more for Kevin, this one. The photo book collector. Uh, while using the, the semi-lockdown here for cleaning up and reorganising shelves, I realised that uh, especially my larger photo books, the Salgado ones, don't look as nice as they used to. I have the feeling this is partly by not getting dust off them from time to time. My fault, I know, but also partly because of the way I'm storing them. I have them... Here we go, stand by, Kev. You're about to do one of those mechanic... sort of intakes of breath. <laughs> you notice how mechanics only ever intake breath. They never, they never blow out. Um, I have them standing on my cupboard shelves upright. The heavy yeah. ones, as the Salgado ones, seem to suffer from their weight pressing down, especially the paper covers seem to suffer. I thought about storing the heavy ones in a lying position, but I'm not sure whether that's advisable. Kev, what do you think? No, I don't think lying is ever advisable. I think vertical is always the way forward. Um, but you are, some of the huge books will, you know, depending on how they've been built and bound, will can sag. If you really, really want to keep your books looking top-notch, then you need to get book sheaths, um, which are basically little you know little covers um like the plastic ones that you find in the libraries yeah yeah, yeah. i think you know you often see people keeping their vinyl records in yeah those I, do, of- I keep my vinyl records in in sheaths the, the ones that are worth more money yeah 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 exactly i've got a couple of mine in that as well but of course that that makes your shelf your bookshelf collection look like something from walmart so you know you've got to, you've got to decide on, on on what you want to do with that but yeah i mean look at the end of the day our books are to are there to be looked at and to to enjoy, aren't they? Um, I think, uh, you know, in some cases, I, for books that are you know literally worth a very lot of money, um, then I will I will sheath them up. Yeah. Um, but mostly, I'll just leave them leave them as they are. But yeah, I think it's best. I, I don't have any kind of real um, kind of. I can't point you at any reasons for this, but. Uh, my mind is vertical is best, and that uh, and that's mostly based on the fact that all libraries, all uh, you know, the Martin Parr Library, for example, is thousands and thousands of books. They're all stored vertically, yeah. and some of those are worth a lot of money. Um, there there some... must be a reason why they're not stacking them side by side yeah, on top of each other. There was something about how tight they should be. Ah, uh, oh, where did I read that recently? Oh, I've forgotten now. But the... yeah, well, the tightness is is more to do with um, you know you. If you, what you don't want really is light, direct light falling on them, because that will that can fade the covers and the spines and and what have you. Yeah. Um, the tightness is more to do with when you when you go to pull one out or put one in. Uh, if they're too tight together, then invariably you're going to struggle to get them in and out. Yeah. So uh, yeah, try not to you know squeeze that extra one in because it will make the shelf look perfect but actually everything is pushed together and then the the spines will can crack that way also because there's too much inward pressure all this squeezing and pushing in and pulling out if you've just joined the uh, podcast today thank god it's not like radio you'd have tuned in thinking what on earth are they going on about i'm not yeah. listening to this this is filth. Don't, don't forget your sheath <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's it's not like this on the other podcast i listen to <laughs> right um do we have time for one more should we should we, should we squeeze another in? 
Uh, yeah, I can do another one. Keith, Keith Martin. Yes, uh, Keith Martin. He says, Rescue us. I shot a party for a friend as a favour, no money, etc. However, they yeah. did provide the drinks. Oh, okay. It's very nice of them. If I look back at my photos, I can see the moment I accept a drink in my head, I relaxed and the quality dropped away. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought it was about to say, and the pictures got more, you know, just more expressive. <laughs> so, so my question is, when yeah. the trays of fizz start to circulate, yeah. Do you take one? Every single one, yeah. <laughs> Thank God for autofocus. Uh, God, no, I have never, ever... No, not uh, on a job. wedding, no, never. No, Unless no. it's been a weddings of friends where I'm kind of part guest, part part skivvy. I've never, <laughs> ever had an alcoholic drink no. at a wedding. Never. No. And I wouldn't. Have you Have you yeah. never accepted a beer or a wine in the evening from a... From a no. From, really? No. Okay. I have. I mean, um, but... Uh, only sort of when when you you kind of find that yourself off duty, but then the problem is you're driving home, so you can never really have. You should yeah, have well, that's it. That's what I was going to say. I'm always driving, so yeah. that's the reason for that. But I mean, if I'd finished, if I'd finished, uh, uh, well, uh, let's put it, let's put this in context. When we were in Switzerland, yeah. um, the last wedding we ever shot, a hundred <laughs> years ago, um, you know, we didn't finish till what midnight. Yeah, um, I think we went but, out, outside with a couple of wines at the end, didn't we? Yeah, or but we that just was, we finished, and, and we were staying in that hotel. Yeah. yeah. That, that's different, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I'm often I'm often asked, you know, do you want a, a glass of champagne in the afternoon or whatever? Oh, I'd never do that, never do that. No, I wouldn't do that. No. I, know, I do know some photographers who, you know, who, who do it, and, and, you know, they get on the dance floor with beer in hand, and what? they think it, you know, makes them... Mates. Like a hipster. Yeah. Mates. I think. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, each their own. Everybody does it, whatever they want to do. But yeah, I'm always driving, so I wouldn't touch a drop of alcohol that way. Well, actually, there was um, somebody at, um, at a venue that I'm a recommended supplier for who was taken off the list because he did exactly what you've just said, Kev. He would always, the, the staff had uh, reported him for uh, always making sure that he, he grabbed, uh, grabbed a glass of champagne as they came round. And eventually somebody said, hang on, that bloke's always um, always got a champagne in his hand. Yeah. And I think yeah, he, his excuse was, it just makes me look like I, I fit in with a crowd. I thought, oh, there, there's a documentary excuse if ever I heard one. I fit yeah, in with a crowd. You just get a glass of fizzy well, water, don't you? Yeah, or orange or water, yeah, or something, yeah. But uh, right, well, that's it for uh, for another week. We're sort of back to normal now, Kev. How does it feel? Uh, rubbish. <laughs> Why does it feel rubbish? <laughs> well, you know. Oh, we never did the patrons. Oh, we didn't do the patron thing. Oh, we'll have to do it. Should we make that the first thing we do next week? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Extra special next week. Right, if, you, if you've uh, liked this or uh, any of the week's shows, thank you. And if you can, of course, and you feel it's relevant, we'd love you to leave a review. Uh, if you can share the episode on Twitter or on Facebook, you are a star. Let us know where you're sharing because we can give those platforms a shout-out too. See you in the Facebook group for any questions you have about today's show. And that, of course, uh, Kev, is where you can leave. Well, there's two sets of questions now, aren't there? There's there's there, there's questions for Andreas and there's questions for the show, aren't there? There is. There's two, so there's two pin posts, which is not easy to say. Two pin posts. Um, one is for the questions for the show. They're very. It's very obvious. Questions for the show. Questions for Andreas. Um, the Andreas uh, one will be towards the end of the month. And yeah, that's yeah, it. good. Um, and if you'd like to send your questions in the old-fashioned way by Owl, um, since we've been watching a lot of Harry Potter during lockdown, or indeed. Um, by email, uh, click at fujicast.co.uk. Music from Blue Wednesday. 
uh, supporting music from the incredible artlist.io. And we will see you next week. Bye, Kev. Bye. Bye bye. The Cast is an independent loading zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.